Okay, great to uh, be back with everybody and um, back doing uh, the lie of Shirim, Baruch Hashem. Uh, it's great to see everybody. Hope everybody's done was good. Um, again, just uh, again, a quick shout out to everybody supporting the Shir uh, on Patreon. Uh, and if you are not currently supporting the Shir and would like to, so then you can go to patreon.com slash Rabbi Herman and, uh, you know, and figure out a small donation over there. So that's also very, obviously very, very much appreciated. But uh, shout out to everybody who is already uh, doing that. Okay, Parsha's Bracious. We are not going to recap the Parsha because it's probably one of the most, <laughs> if not the most studied Parsha. Uh, we started from when we were three, four years old and, you know, study it many, many times over. And the beauty of the Parsha is that um, you know, it can be studied in many ways, just, just like a school kid looks at it. And then obviously much later, uh, with more adult eyes, you get a totally different appreciation for, uh, for the Parsha. Um, obviously a, a million and one things we could cover, uh, in the 30, 40 minutes that we have, we'll obviously won't uh, touch on everything, but, uh, we'll try and mention a couple of things that are, uh, that are chashiv. Um, just uh, the first thing we'll just mention in terms of the creation. So you know, again, you guys are familiar with the creation, but if you you, you notice, and I'm sure you have noticed, uh, the Torah says very uh, all the time, right? Except for the second day, which is then repeated on the third day, which everybody picks up on. But that the Kuvayar Lokim Kitov, that Akash Baruch saw that it was good. That Akash Baruch saw that everything he created was good. Um, and again, it says the missed on the second day. It says it twice on the third day because really the second day's creation was completed on the third day. Okay, fine. Uh, in my uh, my kids' elementary school, they used to uh, you know they call Tuesday Pamayim uh, Kitov. Right? It says twice. It says twice. It says Kitov that it was good. So the, I remember uh, they they used to not give homework on Tuesdays because. Whatever. It was good, good shtick. Anyway, um, and then the sixth day it said Tov Ma'od, right after all the creation, right? We'll get to that in a second. Um, but even before that, right, something pointed out by Victor Miller, which is incredibly simple, but incredibly important. Um, the Torah says, uh, at the end of the of, of Tvarim, which we just read a couple weeks ago in Parshish Kisavo, and the Pazik says, that a person should walk in the ways of Akash Baruch uh, and it says in the Torah, again, it says in the Torah, Vayara Lukim is called Asherat Asa, right? Hashem saw everything he made, right? Vayara Lukim Kitov, he saw that it was good. Vayara Lukim is called Asherat Asa, the Yine Tov Ma'od, he saw that it was very good. Um, and we also need to try and remember to focus and appreciate that this world is amazing. Right? Instead of walking around, very often people will walk around and complain, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too humid, it's too dry, it's too. It's raining. It's not raining, right? The person has to almost train themselves, right? With all the negativity, the person almost has to train themselves to appreciate all the little things, right? Even all of those things that I just mentioned, right? All of those uh, sensations, right? When it's hot, right? So there is uh, one of the effects of of it being hot. Points out Irving Miller, who happened to know a lot about science, actually, is that uh, that enables the fruits to sweeten and to become whole. Uh, they wouldn't become. They don't ripen uh, unless it's it's warm out. That's why we have, uh, for example, a lot of the hot climates. We have the, the oranges, the grapefruits, etc. Right? It doesn't. They don't grow in Montreal. Right? They grow in the, in the warm climates. Right? And on the flip side, of it, when it's cold, so that's also very good. I mean, that the ground is able to kind of re- rest and, and uh, recuperate right, from producing all this fruit and all this stuff. Um, again, uh, recuperating like and re uh, regetting all the minerals and stuff like that. Right? Again, it's crucial to have these types of seasons. Right, having summer year round, right, that would wreck 
the ability for the earth to produce. It becomes dry and it wouldn't produce uh, the same types of, uh, uh, of fruit that it does. Uh, so that's also chashuv. Rain, obviously, right? It's raining right now. Baruch Hashem and Eretz Yisrael, right? Gishmei Bracha. Um, obviously, crucial for it to rain. Um, uh, we don't have to explain that more than you know more than a few sentences. Uh, and it's crucial for it not to rain. Right? Again, the Chazal explained that the the tefillah of the Karen Gadol and the Yom Kippurim and the Kodesh Kadashim was that the 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 tefillahs of the travelers should not be heard. What what was that? So just without getting into that whole Musar Shmuz, basically it used to be that people would dive the travelers would daven that there should be no rain, right? It's obviously much better for not to rain if you're traveling from Tzvat to or whatever, um, you know, on horseback. So sometimes it's time for not to be raining. I mean, everything in the world is good. I mean, it's a very good world. We have to be able to appreciate that. Right? Baruch Hu wants us to appreciate that, right? Hold Lashem Kitov, right? We have to try and appreciate everything that Akash Baruch Hu does. My wife likes to point out Hashem could have created the world in black and white. Uh, again, Mitzvah Sharon points out that all the the flavors and the, and the tastes and the colors are there to entice us a little bit. Okay, fine, it's a little bit more negative, but um, but it's crucial to be able to appreciate the tiny details and give thanks. Right? Again, we mentioned many times the Ramban at the end of Parshas bow says the whole point of the world is liyedo liyoda to know, to recognize that Kosh Baruch created the world and to give him thanks, and that includes all the tiny details. So we have, it's something we have to work on starting the new year, right? Thinking about right, Baruch Hashem for all the the, chasad, the millions upon millions of chasadim, right, as we say in the in Nishmas, Elif Alfei Alafim, right? All the tovos shasidim imanu, right? All the goodness that Hakadosh Baruch Hu has done for us, right? We have to, for even the small tiny things, the fact that we are breathing and 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 healthy and etc. Right? But but even the, the tiny things like the fact that you know food tastes good and and that the weather is such. That Kosh Baruch blesses us, right? All those things. We have to emulate that, that we also have to see the good uh, in the world. Um, just switching over to the Vayar Vini Tov Ma'od, right? What is it? Where's the puzzle over here? Uh, flip back. Vayar Lokim Eis Kol Asher. Saw Vini Tov Ma'od, right? And Kosh Baruch saw everything, and it was Tov Ma'od. So two, just two quick shotim. Uh, on Tov Mo, what do you mean? It was very, very good. So, in uh, the, I think the standard shot, I think you know, Pashup shot is what the Vilna God explains that everything cre- in creation in itself, right, is Tov, is good. But all together, right, when it was done, then it was Tov Ma'od. Then every, then it was amazing. Then it was incredible. Right, the whole even even things that we think to be negative, right, and are from our vantage point, right. There, that's only negative when viewed individually, but when viewed in the context of the entire world of a person's entire life, in terms of the when I coach, you step back and you take take stock of the world as a, as a, a, from beginning to end, right? Like we give the muscle that a coach bar who looks at the the world as a mosaic, and we're just standing on one of the squares. Right, so if you look at the entire mosaic, so then you see it wasn't really negative; it was really positive. Right, that's everything together is tov ma'ot. Right, is even better. Right, everything else is everything by itself is tov. The first day of creation tov. Every the second day tov. Third day tov. Finally, after it's done, then it's tov ma'ot. Right, because you can see every, how everything blends together. Then it's super good. Right, even if you might think that there are things that are negative. I think that's a pashup shot. But the mentor says in in, in Breshis Rabbah right, that uh, tov ma'ot is the Yitzhahara. Now, what does that mean? Right, and the, the so the Medrash explains the the Sahara isn't Tov Ma'od. What do you mean? How could the Sahara be Tov Ma'od? But the Sahara is there to drive us to do certain things, right? We have certain desires in life, 
physical desires, a person wouldn't build a house, wouldn't get married, wouldn't give to have children, wouldn't do business. Uh, we have certain desires that the Yitzhahara kind of pushes us towards. Harry Gemara gives a story where they definitely take away the taivas uh, for uh, relationships between men and women, and then nobody reproduced, right? Chickens didn't reproduce, there were no eggs. So there is a certain physical impetus, that an, an impulse that the Kosh Baruch put inside of us, that's the Yitzhahara, and it's up to us to use it but in a proper manner, to use it in a holy way, as I've said many times to you guys, uh, that the whole point of the world is to uh, live a holy life, uh, live a, a spiritual life in a holy in a physical world. Right? We're supposed to live a spiritual life in a in a physical world. We're supposed to use the drives of the Yitzhahara in a good, a positive way, right? And to get married and to have children in that way, as opposed to abusing that that the Yitzhahara. Etc. Etc. To make brachos on the food, uh, to mekadesh the day, Shabbos, etc. Right. So that that is tov ma'ot. That is the whole purpose of life, as the, the, the Ramchal writes, uh, that uh, we have to go improving ourselves and getting from one place to the next, uh, and that involves using the Yitzhahara, uh, and that's the world that Akash Baruch created for us. That and that's the schar. That's the reward that we're going to get. Akash Baruch who saw saw that we should earn the reward. Right, in the next world, he could have just given it to us, but he saw that through overcoming the Yitzhahara, we would acquire the schar of the next world of Olam Haba, uh, and may, it would be so much more ours than it would be if Akash Baruch had just dumped it on our laps. So the, the Yitzhahara is, is, yes, okay, maybe very difficult to deal with, but in the whole idea, the reason we have Yitzhahara, right, that's Tov Ma'ot, right, and that's the shot uh, uh, of the Medrash. Okay, the, 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 how the Sultan works, we covered in, uh, with this, we did this to our Torah, this little vort, um, in Parshish Key Seitz, I believe. Uh, but it's good either to recap it over here. Uh, my Rebbe used to always point out that the first time we have something in the Torah is very telling uh, in terms of its details, in terms of its nature. So that's true about personalities, which we'll talk about, for example, by Avram Avinu. And the first thing we know about Avram and Chumash is Lech Lecha, but every kid from when they're three, four years old knows the Midrashim that, that Avram was a little kid and he took a baseball bat to all the idols, etc., etc., got thrown in the Kivshan Eish. That stuff's not in the Chumash. So there's a reason for that. So uh, there's a reason that the first time we see Avram, Hashem tells him Lech Lecha. Okay, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. So, so the, one of the things we meet in this week's Parsha, amongst obviously everything else, uh, is the Yitzhahara. Yitzhahara tried to seduce Chava, obviously it was successful uh, in getting them, and them to eat the Yitzhadas. So that's the first thing we're introduced. Uh, the first time we're introduced to the Nachash, the Yitzhar, the Satan, uh, in this week's parsha, and this is how we wage the war. We have to fight the war against the Satan, uh, and the Torah gives us clues. Right, you don't need to go to a Musr Sefer uh, to find clues to fight the Satan. The Torah tells us basically uh, in the few psukim that they have the conversation between the Satan and and, uh, and Chava, right? What the Nachash, what the Yitzhar, what the Satan is going to try and do to us, and how we can fight it. Um, it's good for this exercise to pick an Avera that you struggle with. Right? All of us struggle with certain Averos. Uh, so whichever Avera that you want. Um, and just think about when you're faced with a struggle of that, that Avera, with that thing that you're struggling with, right? think about uh, the things I'm saying in that context. And the next time you're faced with it, right, you can recognize the strategies that the Yitzhahara does. So the first thing uh, we need to do, again, to fight a war against the enemy, you have to know what the enemy is trying to do. You can't plan a football game without uh, knowing what offense they're going to run. So let's see what the Nachash does. What does the Nachash do? So the first thing he does, if you're, if you're following along in the Chumash, I'm in Paragimel. So Pazikalev, Nachash haya rumikol chayas hasadeh shem lokim, Nachash is trying to get Chava to eat the Yitzhadas, but Yomer el ha'isha af kiyamar lokim lo so chulim mikol Right. Did Hashem say you can't eat everything? 
Or what's the deal over here? I mean, the first thing that Yitzhar does is he engages you in conversation. All right, what's the halacha? What are we dealing with? We're dealing with uh, turning on the light switch on Shabbos. Okay, what's the deal? And so the Isha, right, the Chava, her first mistake was to engage Yitzhar. She to talk to her, to talk back, to even have a conversation about it. She said, yeah, we can eat from the fruit, from all of the fruits. But but from the fruit in the middle of the, the gun, Hashem said, don't eat and don't touch. And if you do, then you're going to die. Okay, so Chava outlines the halacha and the potential punishment. Right? And then the nachash goes to work. He goes to work knocking that down. First of all, the nachash says, right? It's not true. The punishment is not real. It's not really going to happen. Right? It's, it's, you're not going to die. Right? He, we, he injects a little bit of kfira, a little bit of apicorsus. It's not really true. Right? How many people did you have you seen turn on a light on Shabbos and drop dead immediately? It's not true. You're not really going to die. It's not chil Shabbos is not punishable by miso. It's not true. Right? Even though we know it is true, but but that's what Hezahar says. And we pre eat a share of it. Okay, so sorry, the wrong pasuk. Second, that pasuk hey. The Nachash says, He says, no, 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 it's even, even the, it's not only are you gonna, not going to get punished, but you're going to get rewarded. And you do this Avera, and your eyes will be opened. Right? He, he shines up the reward of the type, the reward of the Avera really nice. Right? Not only are you not going to get punished for this, you're going to get rewarded. It's a good thing for you to do. And you'll be like God. The second thing the Nachash does, the second thing the Yitzhahara does, is he injects a little bit of Gaiva, a little bit of arrogance. Who is God to tell you what to do? Who is Hashem to tell you what to do? You're exactly like a Baruch Hu. Are you have a neshama? You can decide what you want to do. You're a chelikelukomim. Why should Hashem tell you what to do? So, Hashem, so the Yitzhahara injects a little bit of Gaiva. You don't want to listen. Why should you listen? So then finally, he, he injects a little bit of Taiva, a little bit of extra uh, desire for the Avera, right? We're not thinking about the cheeseburger if we're not smelling it from McDonald's. I don't know how it smells, but maybe it smells good. Let's say it smells good. You're not thinking about the tray food unless it smells good. Right? You're walking down the street five minutes earlier, you're not thinking about eating tray. You walk by the, the, the restaurant, mm, that smells geschmack. Now you have a taiva, now you have a desire, now you're fighting, should I violate the issue of tray for, of, of eating uh, non-kosher or not? So the nachas, and that's what the Pazik says. She saw that the, eat, the tree was good to eat, and uh, there was a desire in her eyes. And it was nice to look at. And then and she ate. Uh, and so that was the third thing that the Yitzhahara does. He shines up the taiva. He give, injects us with a little bit of extra taiva, right? Every time we're faced with a sin, whatever sin you're thinking about right now, it becomes a little bit more enticing in the moment before you do it, right? In the moment you're struggling, you're trying to figure out whether you should do it or not, there's a little bit of extra taiva that the Yitzhahara injects. So just to recap, the first thing he does is he's, he make, gives us a little bit of avikorsus. He makes us a little bit of kfira, said, mm, the stuff that you're not really going to get punished. It's not true. Maybe he says it's not really usser. It's not really punishable. Relax. Right? It's not really true. Second thing he does is gaiva. Even if you know that it's true that it's usser and that it's punishable by X, Y, and Z, who is Hashem to tell you what to do? You're a, you're a human being. You should be able to decide. And third, finally, he shines up that Avera real nice. Makes it look really pretty. Gives you a little bit extra taiva uh, to push you over the cliff and uh, and do the avera. So incidentally, by the way, these are uh, kind of parallel the big three. I don't want to do talk about that right now, but 
that they, they these thing, kind of three things parallel the uh, that we are commanded to not violate if someone puts a gun to our head but okay either way that, that just uh, comment off on the side how do you fight the Eitzahara when the Eitzahara injects a little bit of kefira a little bit injects you a little bit of arrogance a little bit of extra desire how do you fight that so no chidushim over here nothing earth shattering probably would expect first of all you have to study Torah you have to study Torah, that gets rid of the possibility that the Yitzhak can tell you it's not true. Right? If you just studied the laws of Shabbos yesterday, or you have it clear in your mind that it's usher to turn on a light switch, uh, the Yitzhak will be like, oh, what do you mean? It's not really fire, it's just electricity, it's not really completing a circuit, it's not really... Okay, but if you just studied the Sugya and the Halachos yesterday, and you see that uh, the Chazanish says it's Bona, and I uh, forget already who says that it's uh, whatever, all the halachos now. See, now I'm forgetting. Now I have to go chazer. That's so good. But okay, um, the point. I Meaning, if you just study them and you know, and you know that the punishment for chil shabbos is misa, so there's nothing to talk about. Right? A person who knows something black and white, you can't convince them otherwise. Right? You ever try and convince some someone of something? First of all, that's difficult. But second of all, if you know something is un- unbreakably true. Right, if you know where your parents are from, for example, so if someone tells you, no, your parents aren't from New York, they're from, I don't know, Texas. So <laughs> you laugh at them. That's not true. It's simply not true. So that's how you get rid of the Yitzhahara. Yitzhahara can't tell you that it's not usher to turn a light bulb on Shabbos if you know that it's usher. So that's A. And B, to get rid of the gaif and the taifa, the arrogance and the desire. So that's what we work on our midos, right? As the girl says, the whole point of the life is shviras hamidos, to break our midos. So you learn Musar, you learn the Misiyot Sisharim, like we've been doing. Right? It teaches you how to work on yourself, how to accomplish and how to overcome. Right? So even if you get that little bit extra desire, right? again, we were talking about uh, the, the Misiyot Sisharim uh, the last couple of Shira, I'm talking about how to wean ourselves off extra unnecessary pleasures and stuff like that. So should we can fight that taiva, that extra taiva. So yeah, so once you're wor- learning Musar, once you're le- working on yourself, so then you're able uh, to combat the Yitzhahara properly. Okay, uh, another just crucial, I think perhaps maybe the most beautiful puzzle in the entire Torah, very short puzzle, <coughs> uh, and probably overlooked by 99% of people, but I just wanted to throw it out there, at least it speaks very strongly to me. Uh, after Adam and Chava do the chet the of eating from the Etadas, there's an unbelievable puzzle. Now, we may have probably not paid attention to it, but that's okay, because it's very short. If I was going to ask you, what's Hashem's response to Adam and Chava sinning? You probably would tell me, well, Hashem punishment. Adam had to work the, the land to get Parnassah, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Chava, pain in childbirth. The snake lost its legs and had to slide on the earth, etc. And that's true. All that is accurate. But Hashem does something first, before that. Before the punishment, and yes, there's definitely a concept of scharv onesh, right? reward and punishment, free choice, free will, 100%, and the whole world is built on that. But before we even get there, there's an unbelievable pasuk that that uh, we have to talk about. But again, just to recap, everything in Bracious, <coughs> not to recap, but just to, re, re, I guess, rehash as we've been talking about, everything in the Torah is nitzchi, is forever. Right? It has tremendous value for all generations. Right, not only to tell us what happened, quote unquote, in Brachas, even though it's impossible to understand what in the world is going on over here. Right, Adam heard the Ruach of Hashem walking through. What does it even mean? How do you hear? Okay, very difficult to understand. But it's not obviously not a history book. It's trying to teach us incredible messages for generations. 
So if you look at the first word that Akash Baruch Hu said to Adam and Chava after they sinned, right? Again, everybody sins, right? Shlomo Melech says in Kohelas, right? There is no tzaddik Everybody sins. There's no tzaddik in the world that doesn't sin. There are only like four people of all time. Everybody sins. What's Akash Baruch Hu's response when we sin? And you let me know if this speaks to you because it, it totally speaks to me. The Yitzhahara, very often, when we sin, the Yitzhahara makes us feel like the world is ending. Right? We sinned, you fell, you blew it. There's no point in picking yourself up. Just get depressed. Hashem must hate you. He's preparing to open the gates of hell and unleash all sorts of suffering and pain, etc., etc. Right? A lot of Christian imagery there, by the way, but okay, that's a different schmooze. Again, most people focus on the punishment. But if you look at Psukim Ches and Tes in Perak Gimel, Again, the puzzle gets kind of referenced before. Adam and Chava heard a Kosh Baruch Hu walking through Gan Eden, whatever that means. And they hide. They hide from Hashem. And then the puzzle says, unbelievable. And God called out to man and said, Where are you? That pasuk, right? That pasuk that Hashem spoke to Adam is as if He's speaking to every single person, every single one of us. Again, it doesn't say Vayomer Elokim El Adam. It says El Ha Adam to the man, to mankind, I meaning to every single person in the world. Right? Again, this Torah is telling us messages forever. As soon as a person sins, Kosh Baruch Hu calls out to the person and says, Ayeka, where are you? Where are you going? Why are you hiding? Why are you running away from me? That's a Kosh Baruch Hu's first response when we sin, when we chay, when we fall. Right? Kosh Baruch Hu is always interested in a relationship before a chet and after a chet. Right? Again, it's a hard tricks us into thinking that Hashem hates us. We get depressed and distance us even more. Hashem's response to every chet is Vayomer El Ha'adam Ayeka. Vayomer Lo Ayeka. Vayikra El Ha'adam. He calls out to us. Right? Where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you running from me? This, for me, is maybe one of the most powerful psukim in the entire Torah. But if I had to pick one line to plaster on a wall, and God called out to man and said, Where are you? Right? Hashem wants us to be close to Him. Right? He's not moving. When we sin, we, we move ourselves farther away. <clears throat> but there's no need to get even further. Right? Baruch Hu, at no point, is just kicking us away. Well, it may be... At a very far point down the line, Rambam, the Rambam writes out about the, all right, what about Paro? Okay, whatever. But for all Jews, anybody listening to this shir, and, and, and Jews that are trying to have a relationship with the Kosh Baruch Hu, right, Hashem wants us close. Right? That's the epitome of our relationship with the Kosh Baruch Hu, that Vayomer Lo Ayaka, right? that Hashem is looking for a relationship with us. Where are you? Where are you going? Why are you hiding? Right? What, what, think about what your life is. Right, think about our relationship. That, that for me, that that speaks volumes, and and you let me know if it speaks to you. But I always just wanted to point that out, um, and I always appreciate that puzzle when we read it. Okay, now speaking about the punishment uh, that Adam got, right, again, the punishment <coughs> that Adam got was uh, amongst other things, right? That he has to work. He has to work the land. Right before he was just walking throughout, you know, Gan Eden, and there was food and whatever he could eat. Um, and afterwards, right, he has to work. He has to work the land. He has to produce, and he has to make bread, etc., etc. And and everybody talks about this pasuk. All of Chazal talk about this pasuk. 
and uh, in, in our phraseology, it's called hishtadlus. That now a person has to put in hishtadlus, has to put in effort to make a parnasa, etc., etc., to make to make food, to put food on the table, to make a salary, to make a to make some money. And there are those people who take this pasuk very seriously, right? They put in their entire lives into fulfilling this pasuk, right? Working their fingernails to the bone, right? And <laughs> try 16-hour days, etc. Other people take a more measured approach, right? And some people decide to ignore the pasuk completely, right? Some some individuals decide to kind of just sit there and say, "All right, Hashem, I'm going to sit and learn all day. Hashem, you take care of me." Which is the right approach? What is the right approach? So uh, that's that's a long schmooze in and of itself, but just very quickly. Uh, there's a pretty well-known Gemara in Brachos and Daflam and Hay. Gemara there debates a contradiction between the contradiction between two psukim. On the one hand, the Pazik says, Pazik you're familiar with from Kriyashma, right? That a person should gather, right, if they're doing the mitzvahs properly, so then they will gather their food from the field, their wine, their oil, etc. The implication being, right, you have to work the land. You have to go out there and actually gather, right? You have to do the do the work and put in the work and work the land and gather all the stuff. On the other hand, Pazik says in Yoshua, <coughs> with uh, I think which we read at Torah and Sukhas Torah, if I'm not mistaken, Lo Yamush Sefer Torah Zami Picha. The Torah shouldn't move right from your mouth. Right, it shouldn't shouldn't stop leaving your mouth. So how does it work? So which is it? I mean, on the one hand, the Torah implies that you have to go work. And Pazik says, You got to work. You got to gather your stuff in the field. On the other hand, says you should never stop learning Torah. So which is it? So Rabbi Shmuel says. That yeah, you have to act according to the way the world is works, right? You have to it's the way the world is to do a shtadlus. You got to interact with the world. You got to make a parnasa. You got to yes, learn when you can, learn as much as you can, but definitely got to go out and uh, and reap the 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 olives and the grapes and all the other stuff in the field. In our vernacular, you have to get a job, etc. Rishim by Yochai, in the other hand, says no, no way, impossible. Right, it says that well, you're going to go out to the field, you're going to plant this, you're going to work this, you're going to plow this. Right, Torah matayla. Right, when are you going? To, who's going to learn? What are we going to learn? What's going to be with the Torah? So he says, when you're doing mitzvos, says Roshim Bar Yochai, when you're going out and you're learning, your parnasa will be provided for you. Right, if we're keeping the mitzvos of Hashem, other people will provide a parnasa. In other words, just have a muna, just have a muna bitachon, trust in Hashem. And just sit and learn all day and do mitzvahs all day and the Kosh Baruch will create, will take care of you. So again, Rabbi Shmuel says you got to go out and get a job. Rabbi Shmuel says, Chas Shalom, to sit and learn what will happen if no one sits and learns all the time. The Torah, if you're only learning a little bit in between, you know, when your plow, cows need a break, when the oxen need to be fed, what, that's when you're going to learn a Mishnah. Right? You're not going to remember anything. So you got to sit and you got to learn all day and Kosh Baruch will provide. It ends off the Gemara. Ends off the Gemara. Harbei Asu Rabbi Shmuel. A lot of people did like Rabbi Shmuel to go out and get a job and learn when they can, etc. They also be yadam, and that worked for them. Rabbi Shim Bar Yochai, and a lot of people did like Rabbi Shim Bar Yochai. The low also be yadam, and it didn't work for them. Now, who should we follow? So the Gemara, as you may have noticed, doesn't decide. Right? Notice the language. Right? Many people did like Rabbi Shmuel, got a job, learned a little bit, and that worked. Many people did Rabbi Shim Bar Yochai, and it didn't work. So the Gemara says, for the masses, right, Rabbi Shmuel is the way to go. Right, that you gotta interact with the world, you gotta get a job, etc. On the other hand, for select individuals, they can sit and learn, like Rabbi Shimon Yochai uh, demands. So, basically, what that means is that most of us end up on the Ishtadla side of things, right? That we have to be like Rabbi Shimon. But how far do you take that? Right, again, you got 16, 18 hour work days. 
Right? For example, Mrs. Yisharim, right, explains in Perik Chafalaf, we haven't gotten there yet, right, but he lays down the following. Right? A person could theoretically, should theoretically, uh, throw down their load upon a Baruch Hu. Gemara says in Beitza, for example, that a person's entire Parnassah is decided for him in Rosh Hashanah. Gemara says in Yuma, that a person is not able to touch what is prepared for his friend. <coughs> Excuse me. So it seems from those Gemaras and from others that there's no point in working. On the other hand, Kosh Baruch Hu told us we got to work. Right? The Gemara here seems to imply that we have to work. So Ramchal explains it in an unbelievable way. And this is, I think, the key to really unlocking uh, the balance between Hishtavus and effort on the one hand, uh, and Amunu Bitochon on the other hand. So Ramchal writes, um, a person should really, right, should, should have to, should, should be able to rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Could you just sit there and be like, all right, Hashem, you, you, whatever you wrote for me in the Book of Life, just drop it on my doorstep, right? I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll accept cash, check, any form of payment. But, says Ramchal, and I'll just quote here, in Adam. But there's a knas, there's a fine for men. That you gotta work. That a person needs to put in a shtadlus <coughs> to make a parnasah. Because this is the gzair of Hashem. It's like a tax. That all of mankind pays and there's no running from it. That's a tax. The fact that we have to work for our Parnassah is a tax. Really, it all comes from a Kash Baruch Hu. But when we sin, right, things change. Then the Kash Baruch Hu now demands from us that we put in effort in Ishtadus. But how far do we take that? So in the very next paragraph, Ramchal writes, I, you know, it's obviously not the Ishtadus that helps. Right? It's, uh, as Pazik says, right, El HaDerech HaMiti, just a quote over here, right, the true path, who darkam shalachasidim arishonim, osim terosim ik er umalachtam tefeilah, that the true path is to make, <coughs> excuse me, the Torah, the Iker, and the Malach of the Tafel. And in that way, Vizevizen is kind biyadam. And then both, you'll get both of them. Meaning, that, the, that a person needs to view it as the Torah is the main part and the work is the secondary. That has to be the perspective. That yes, you may have to work, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 hour days, and we'll talk about that in a second, but that should be the tafel, the secondary, right? The ikker, the main part, is the learning, uh, the ability to raise a Jewish family, right? The sending the kids to yeshiva, it's a, and, and to seminaries, and, and to schools, and Jewish schools, etc. That's got to be per, the perspective, right? That's got to be the perspective. That the derech hamidi is the way of the chassidim arishonim. The Torah is keva, and the malacha is arai. The malacha is tafel. The malacha is secondary. The work is secondary. And this perspective is crucial. Not only because it's good for a, an, an Amuna-based life and a good for a religious Jew, but think about what that does. Right? It frees a person from the rat race of life. If you think that everything is dependent on you, so you stress yourself out to like crazy to put in this effort and that effort and this decision and that decision. Right? You, if everything is dependent on you, it's very, very stressful and, and, and uh, nerve-wracking. And, 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 but, but, but if a person doesn't even think like that and realizes that, yes, the, the work that I have to put in is a tax, but quote-unquote, but really everything comes from Hashem. So that perspective frees a person from the rat race of life. You don't think that you need 16-hour days to succeed. You, a person then doesn't become jealous of someone else because it's not relevant to you. 
Right? A person doesn't stress about work-life balance. Right? A person, obviously, like, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, fine. Obviously, you can't just sit back and wait for a month to drop from the sky. You have to get an education. You have to go get a job, etc. But you can allow for other considerations, right? Religious considerations, family considerations, quality of life choices. You can make those choices knowing that a coach Barker will take care of you, that you're getting whatever was decided on Rosh Hashanah. You just got to put in the work. So if you take an extra day vacation because your kid has a sitter play and you want to show him koach or whatever, you want to show him uh, that you support him, so yeah, you, that's, not a, that's not a hard choice to make. Yeah, you'll, you'll get docked a few dollars and it'll cost you a little bit of money, but again, that, that is not a hard choice to make. Now, how do, that, that being said, how do you know when, how much is too much? Right? A, a person could theoretically just sit like the couple time for three hours a day and learn the rest of the time right? and say, well, Hashem's going to give it to me. So, you know, you could take a person, you, could, you know, you could take the opposite extreme. So without getting into all discussion, obviously that has to be a, a long discussion. But one of my rabbim, or Saf Benrash, he put it this way. I thought it was a very beautiful explanation. It really spoke to the, the true difference between each person and the way they think and their emotions, etc. He said, uh, he said it like this, and we can discuss further if you want afterwards. At the point where you will start resenting a Kodesh Baruch Hu, that's probably where you should stop. Now, what is that? Now, for example, let's say Hashem decides, let's just get, for example, Hashem decides you're going to just use, let's use round numbers. Hashem decides, or Hashem, you're going to get $100,000 in salary this year. In order to work for that salary, realistically, you need to put in 10-hour workdays. Okay? But you decide in your great emuna and righteousness that a Kodesh Baruch Hu will provide. And instead, you're going to work six hours a day. And you'll learn the other four. Problem is that that six hours a day, just using quick math, is only going to pull in $60,000 in salary and, and instead of a hundred. So where's the other 40K coming from? So it's not going to come from a paycheck. It's going to come from other blessings, maybe like a tax credit or a good stock tip or a bonus or whatever, an appreciation in your house, etc. But if a person is going to start resenting that the bracha is not coming as quickly as they would like, it's, it's not all going to just, you know, show up on a monthly basis. So that's probably the point where you should start putting in more ishtados. When you're going to resent the amuna that you need to have in order to make things work, <coughs> that's probably where you should put in a little bit more ishtados and pull back on the amuna and obviously hope to grow in your amuna as you get older. But if you're going to resent the whole process and come to doubt its validity, uh, so then at that point, I, that you should probably check out. That's how Benrush explained it, and I, and I appreciated that. that and I, th I thought that really made a lot of sense. Meaning like, okay, maybe ideally we should work three hours like the Chavetz Chaim and learn the rest of the day, but how many of us would resent the poverty, poverty that we would objectively be in? Right? How many would start doubting that we're really going to get all the brachos that Hashem gave us? Right? Again, you know, not everybody has that kind of a moon. I saw a story over uh, Yom Noraim, but again, from Rav Melech Biederman, that a guy wanted a proper seat in the shul for Yom Noraim, but he decided that uh, he didn't want to give up X, Y, and Z that would require paying for it. And so he said, you know, I'm not going to pay for it. And I'm going to be talking that Hashem will take care of me, that I'll be able to have a good davening. So he gets to shul, and obviously his name's not on, he doesn't see his name on the seating chart. Um, and he's standing in the aisle with all the bachram, and he, he, he's nowhere to sit, and it's uncomfortable. And finally, someone calls him over. He says, hey, your seat's next to me. So, you know, empty seats. The guy doesn't, you know, doesn't think twice. And after davening, he goes back to the seating chart. And he saw, yeah, actually, his name was there. But he noticed that it was the stickers from last year, right? Instead of saying, Tush Shin Pei Gimel, it said, Tush Shin Pei Beis. 
It was last year's sticker. What happened was nobody bought that seat. And instead of just leaving it empty, they just slapped last year, or, or maybe there was an oversight or whatever, and someone slapped last year's sticker. Well, apparently, he had bought that seat last year, and they slapped last year's sticker on the place. So the guy got a nice place in shul without paying for it. Okay, fine. That's a very high-level imunu bitachon. Right? If you ever watch Ushpizen, uh, right? Yes, bitachon, imunu bitachon, then things will work out. Okay, but that, but for us, how many of us would, would be able to handle that? Okay, maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. That's the perspective on Ishtadlis. That, yes, we need to put in our effort. We're on the Ishtadlis side of things. But um, uh, but it is definitely a, you know, a sliding scale. And a person should try and find themselves in a healthy place uh, where they can have a prop, healthy mix right, of, of Ishtadlis and Bitachon and obviously, and, and obviously the, grow their Amuna right, throughout the rest of their lives. Um, all right, just two quick Vortlach that I just wanted to mention. Uh, before we run out of time here, uh, obviously, Akash Baruch Hu, right, rested on the seventh day, uh, Shabbos, right, and that's what we have uh, to this day, Shabbos, in a couple of days. How does that work? How does that work? Uh, Shabbos is a reminder that Hashem created the world, right? Just because He rested on the seventh day, so we rest also? Right? We're just like commemorating a historical event over here? It right? can't be, can't be, because we have all these halachos. All these details about Shabbos. It's not just, you know, you take a day off from work, kick your feet up, and watch TV all day. We have all these malachos Shabbos, there are malachos of Shabbos, and all the toldos, and all the durabanans. So how does that help us? How does how does keeping the malachos, for example, help us remember that a coach broke created the world? So as you might be aware, right, on Shabbos, it's not a sort of work. Right? The Ramban himself points out that a person can just schlep furniture all around their house all day, Right, and hit no isurim whatsoever. Right, you can move everything all around. Right, if there's an area of you may be able to get away with some other types of uh, avoda outside. Like, but just slapping stuff all day, no isurim. You strike a match, nope, that's out. Right, that's out. That's us. Why is that? Why is it? It's not. So it's not work as as normally translated. Right, as, as where we where at least I grew up. It's it's not work. What's forbidden on Shabbos? What's us? What are the malachos? The malachos are creative activities. On Shabbos, we refrain from creative acts. Why is that? Right? In order to remind us who the true creator is. Right? To remind us that when we work for six days, right, we're our work, as we just discussed, our work is not the source of the blessings. HaKadosh Baruch is the source of the blessings. And to remind us that when we do anything, really, in this world, throughout the six days, uh, and even on the Shabbos, but throughout those six days for sure, that Hashem is the real creator. Right? It gives us proper perspective. We take one day a week and we step back and we think, who is really the creator of this world? It's not me. It's not me. It's a Kosh Baruch Meaning, for example, when you decide to, when you raise your hand, right? you raise your arm, just raise your arm into the, in the air. How does that work? Right? You decide in your brain to raise your hand. So science, blah, 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 whatever, you know, the science, the synapses and, and the, the muscles send message. Who created that nature? You decided to raise your hand, Yashar Kayach, but who actually created the science, the nature, the physical ability for you to raise your hand? It's Akash Baruch Akash Baruch created those rules, right, during the six days of the creation. Shabbos focuses us on the truth. Not that just Hashem, not just that Hashem rested on the seventh day, but that Hashem created that Hashem created on the other six days as well. Right? That Shabbos gives that, that us, us that perspective. Right? Shabbos makes us realize that and reminds us that right? 
Now, Kosh Baruch was in charge of, of nature over here. Right? That's why it's also Zechel Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, because that was the one time a Kosh Baruch who showed his might. The fact that he can affect the regular natural order of things shows that he controls nature all the time. Right? If he didn't control nature all the time, he wouldn't have been able to do all the makos on, on the drop of a hat. So Shabbos tunes us in to the true reality, which we may forget during the week when we're working and we're putting in our efforts and we may get kind of blinded by Kochim Yotzim Yodi, reminds us that Kosh Baruch Hu is the one who's really creating. Which is why Chavetz Chaim always laughs. So Chavetz Chaim on his commentary on the Parsha, he laughs at people, almost, you can almost read through between the lines, who rush out of Shabbos. Right? These other six days of the week, <coughs> as the Chavetz Chaim says in very powerful language, they come, they nurse from the curse of right? He doesn't rhyme it in English like I did, but he says they take their sustenance. The other six weeks are cursed by this curse we talked about, that a person has to work for their parnasa, that you have to, this tax that we pay, right? <coughs> Almost, right? It's not a great example because we didn't sin. Okay, whatever. I don't want to get into the, you know, the concept of original sin and stuff like that. But So it's not a great exact muscle. But this this curse that we have to work for our parnasa that's the rest of the week. Shabbos gets his bracha from HaKosh Baruch Hu. HaKosh Baruch Hu was mevarech the day. Right? Vaikadosh also, Pazik says, Hashem made it holy. So we should be running to Shabbos, not from Shabbos. Right? And he ends off, Asherimisha Zoha Lavinatzeh, right? A praiseworthy is someone who's able, who's Zoha to, to understand this. Shabbos is the Makor bracha. Shabbos is, 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 is what keeps us tuned in and directed right, through the rest of our lives. So that's just something quickly I wanted to mention, that that's the whole point of refraining from Malachan on Shabbos. If you've never heard an example, an explanation why all those things are usher, obviously this Shabbos is you know, a tremendously vast topic, but just very quickly, in a nutshell, right, what the point of refraining from Malachan uh, is, that's it, uh, it, it in a nutshell. Um, and finally, one more word, just because I'm feeling like it. Um, Puzzik says, uh, you know, what are the, you know, all, if you've ever been to a Shabbat Brachos, um, all the brachos we give a chasen and kala right, revolve around Adam and Chava. Fascinating. Not Avram, not Yitzhak, not Yaakov. Most of it is Adam and Chava. Now, there are many explanations why this is true. One of them I heard uh, a, a beautiful explanation because we want to key the chasen and kala in uh, to Ezer Kenegdo. So the public says, right, the public says that Shikosh Baruch saw that, that man was alone. Eselo Ezer Kenegdo. Let me make a help meet against him. That's the terrible translation that the, you know, everybody comes up with. But basically that a spouse is an Ezer, a helper, Kenegno, against. <coughs> and that perspective that a person can help by being against, right, is crucial, not only to a marriage, but as we'll see in a second, to, to life in, in general. Um, you know, there's, listen, humans are always going to fight with each other. It's human nature. There's always going to be arguments and disagreements. Right? Let's, to, I was, let's just take the example of, of a spouse, of, of a chasen and kala, of, of a couple. Right? There's always going to be disagreements. Right? Men are different than women. Uh, two individuals are different than each other. They think differently. Right? People are inherently different. But that is in, in and of itself is helpful. Right? It's good to see things from another, another perspective. It's good to stop and think it's outside the box, to learn to give in, to learn to make someone else happy. Right, to learn to, to kind of critique where it's necessary and to learn to accept criticism. It has to be that way. That's how a person grows. <coughs> it says Ramelech, that's a clue to how to live life with other people as well, not just the spouse. Right, to realize that every interaction is an opportunity, even interactions that upset us, for example. 
right? So we can be over al pesha. The Gemara says in Gittin that when we're over al pesha, when we we uh, forgive and, and disregard some sort of slight and some sort of insult, so Kosh Baruch does that to, for us. Right? Kosh Baruch uh, overlooks our shortcomings as well. Right? So if someone runs up to you and yells at you and and screams at you and and you don't hate them for it and you don't you don't get angry and you you're like oh okay they must be having a hard day whatever I feel bad for them so that's Hashem's, how Hashem is going to relate to you as well right that, that, everything is an opportunity um, you know I had a conversation with uh, Michelle Beckerl today about uh, you know, she's also like how do you view when someone else insults you and someone else you know how do you view that that's a test. Right. Don't they have free will? And and the answer simply is, yeah, they have free will. They don't have to be the one to do it. Uh Baruch for whatever reason, decided someone needed to yell at you or someone needed to damage X, X Y, and Z. That other person doesn't have to be the one to do it. Uh, so they can choose to overcome their natural anger or whatever it is and not yell at you. Someone else will yell at you. And, uh, or, or something else will make you upset. And then you can see how you respond. But every opportunity, as we, as we talked about it you know, at length, Every time something happens is, a, is an opportunity, even if it's connecto, even if it's even if it's against what you might necessarily want. So that's an important perspective in life in general. That either connecto, that everything that we have that might seem like a difficulty is really an effort, something that that's really a coach Baruch putting there to help us. Uh, and with that perspective, life becomes so much not, I don't want to say easier, but more sweet because you know that a coach Baruch is trying to help us get close to him, and and everything that even though we have the limited perspective as we talked about before on the mosaic, standing on one of the squares of the mosaics, coach Baruch sees the whole picture. But if we have that proper perspective, then life becomes that much sweeter because we realize that everything is Hashem is trying to do to us is just helpful. Uh, and uh, it's trying to get us to the proper place, to whatever mission that Akash Baruch has in mind for us. So that's a really good, good proper perspective. And we touched on a, a, a wide range of topics. I hope that uh, you know, some of them speak to you. Uh, and Mitzvah Shem, we'll go right there next week with uh, Mesir Susharim and, and Parshas Noach. Uh, ha, have a tremendous Shabbos Bracious. Um, and we'll be in touch. See you guys soon.